This morning I want to invite you on this uh, Christmas Sunday to get your Bibles and turn to, I think, a pretty familiar passage of Scripture. Um, it probably is a, a passage of Scripture that you have your kids read uh, quite often during the Christmas season. I mean, that's not unusual is to have the kids read Scripture on Christmas Day, and this is probably one of the places that you go. Um, and you might actually kind of breeze through this text and not necessarily pause and consider what it is that the Lord is seeking to communicate as he breathed it out through the writer Luke um, to uh, his audience. And so this morning, we want to stand together. We want to read Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. Uh, If you can, if you're able to, I realize we're all kind of in unusual situations, but let's stand and we will read this passage together. Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Lord, help us now as we Consider, Lord, this Christmas story through the lens of these shepherds. Help us, Lord, to to humble ourselves before you. Teach us, Lord. Shape us through your word. Allow me to be your messenger today, to simply uh, breathe out to to our church family, Lord, uh, what it is that you desire, that you would be worshipped and glorified this morning. And that we would move from the the sentimentality of Christmas to a divine plan that we're seeing unfolding to bring glory to yourself and to bring people like us into new life with you. Lord, we praise you for who you are. Give us freshness this morning, we ask in your precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, 2020 has been an incredible, unusual, and difficult, and trying year. And that might be an understatement. I mean, the COVID-19 restrictions have challenged us to maintain their Christian, our Christian fellowship in ways that seem clunky and, and, and somewhat surface level. And we, we've tried to fight through that and make connections where we could. The fact that it was an election year challenged us and... Um, continues to challenge us on many fronts. Uh, The BLM protests and the subsequent riots unsettled us, not so much because of what they were standing for, but just because they were happening and the riots were taking place, but also it caused us to think deeply about the issues of race and injustice. And it forced us to ask some very important questions about what we actually believe about life and compare it to what Scripture says. 
Add to that the many ways that our society has been seeking to squeeze us into its mold using shaming tactics that seek to convince Christians that they are marginalized, that they're ignorant, that they're unloving or hypocritical or irrelevant or even bigoted, unless, of course, Christians capitulate to the society's view of things. And I'm sure you felt that pressure. And so the Christian community has tended toward two extremes. One extreme is to simply conform out of fear. And another extreme is to take a hard-line stance. Rather than finding the biblical balance that is always necessary when looking at the hard issues of life. And one of the struggles we face now is the real feeling that the gospel that we love and hold dear simply won't have any impact in our society. We may feel the darkness of sin rising and fearfully believe that the impact of the gospel is setting that an era in our country, even in the world, where where God's word and his gospel are becoming out of vogue, so to speak. And unfortunately, the common response of Christians today is to settle into being silent about their their convictions and simply avoiding any spiritual conversation at all. Ungodly society has done a great job of creating an atmosphere where Christians are ridiculed, mocked, and simply holding to what Scripture says as if they're kind of unthinking people. So today, I want us to be encouraged to be faithful soldiers of Christ by taking up the armor of God and being bold to share the good news of the gospel with simplicity. Not just during the Christmas season, but also throughout the year to stop taking this hands-off approach to the spread of the gospel and to view our role on this earth as a hands-on responsibility before God and an act of love toward our fellow man. And our our text today will encourage us to that end. Why? Because it is the story about the shepherds who are given good news. Now, it's worth noting that when God breaks the silence of 400 years, he does so by coming to these simple shepherds. And you'll notice that the text doesn't read, now there were in the same region scribes and Pharisees keeping watch over their scrolls and religious rituals. It doesn't say there were in the same region kings and princes keeping watch at the palace. No, God chose to reveal the good news to simple shepherds. Now, we may not quite understand it because we don't live in a context where we have shepherds like this. But shepherds were absolutely necessary and critical to the health and the economy of Israel. Without them, Israel would struggle to find the the necessary food that was needed to feed a society, as well as to find the the wool or the the, the tools to, to make clothing and stuff. But they were also a despised and ridiculed subculture in Israel. 
They were considered ignorant as well as spiritually unclean because their, might want to say, 24-7 job required that they had to stay in the fields and they couldn't come to the temple. They couldn't participate in the religious festivals and so they were considered to be unclean. Yet society still tolerated them and they were considered to be on the rim of that society. And as such, they were not even worthy to be considered as witnesses in a Roman court of law. Yet God in his wisdom chooses to break the silence and announce his plan of good news to them. And what we have recorded in Luke 2, 15 through 20, is the story of these simple, uneducated, marginalized, tolerated shepherds who've been given the good news. We making any connections yet? (laughs) The good news of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, that they heard, verified, shared, and received. These shepherds were likely illiterate and unsophisticated men, yet God chooses to reveal this good news to them. And it runs so contrary to conventional thinking, doesn't it? But God, I don't say always, but often and usually works his will through the humble. And friends, if there's one thing that we need to realize this morning as we come to this text, it's that God uses ordinary simple people in their simplicity and unsophistication to be the vehicles for the spread of his good news for mankind. In other words, simple people with a simple message that will have a powerful impact in their society. And here's the proposition this morning then. A simple people, as simple people, we are called to spread a simple message that will have a powerful and life-changing impact on our society. As simple people, we are called to spread a simple message that will have a powerful and life-changing impact on our society. Now, here's the question. Do you believe that? And I think we might say we believe it in theory, but do we believe it in reality? And friends, that's a question we need to wrestle with. Friends, God is not depending on political leaders. He's not depending on PhDs or celebrities or professional athletes or YouTubers or dynamic pastors to spread the gospel. No, they all do their part, hopefully if they're believers, but the message goes forward with with power through simple, ordinary, unsophisticated people like you and me. This is God's plan. Now, they are people who have the good news and are excited to share it. They know that their position in society is irrelevant, but that the proclaimed gospel from the lips of simple Christians is powerful and impactful, regardless of the political problems that may be going on in the world. And friends, just just pause a little bit and think about the politics of the time when Jesus comes into the world. And even after that, during the time when Jesus is ministering, the political world 
during that time of Christ, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, and during even the time of the, of the apostles, didn't change in dramatic ways to conform to Christianity. In other words, Christianity didn't kind of overthrow the political system. That was not the point. In fact, there was great oppression. There was great persecution. And yet, and yet, even though Rome was still in charge, and even though the, 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 the pagan Edomite leaders were present in Israel under that Roman rule, the gospel took root, and the gospel spread. And it all began through the simple, uneducated, marginalized, and tolerated shepherds who have been given the good news. So the structure of our text this morning is quite simple. It's divided into four sections. What the shepherds heard, what the shepherds saw, what the shepherds said, and what the shepherds did. What they heard, what they saw, what they said, and what they did. And as we come to this text, I want us to to learn from the shepherds and how God is interacting with them and how they're given the simple message and what they do with what they have heard. So let's begin, first of all, considering what the shepherds heard, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. What is the thing? This thing that the shepherds are talking about here. If you look at ahead at verse, uh, verse 17, it's referred to as the saying that had been told them about the child. And we find that saying just a few verses earlier. So let's go back in Luke 2 and look at verse 8, if you would. We're going to read verse 8 down through verse 14. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And you would be too. And the angel said to them, Fear not. It's good for an angel to begin with fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now what can we conclude here about what the shepherds heard. Well, first of all, we can conclude that they were terrified, right? But what they heard was also impactful. First of all, they heard an angel announce good news. That's what they heard to begin with there, right? And I want you to notice the content of the announcement, the nature of the content here. It is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, we might tend to diminish the level here of good news or great joy. Why? Because we're so familiar with the story. And we're so familiar with Christmas, and we see, you know, the word joy all over the place. 
And we're used to mentioning good news in the gospel. So we may diminish that, that level, but it's the kind of good news that comes to a country that's been at war against a, a very vicious oppressor whose soldiers have been out fighting for that country and are victorious. And the news gets back to that country. We have won. There is peace. We are free. We are saved. Now, people are not going to go to Macy's and buy a present because of that. They're going to go to the streets, and they're going to shout with joy, and they're going to dance, even if they're Baptists. They're going to celebrate. Why? Because it's good news. Now, friends, we have to ask ourselves the question, is the good news still good for us? Think about the location. The city of David, it says here. At that time, the city of David was a rather small and insignificant village called Bethlehem, located about six miles outside of Jerusalem. But it was a, a place of great historical significance prophesied in the book of Micah 700 years earlier. Here's what we find in Micah 5.2. Again, this is prophecy. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Again, this is a prophecy about the birth of the Messiah. So what the shepherds are hearing is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Then we consider not just the location, but the Savior that's mentioned here. Here is Christ the Lord. And again, when we talk about Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name, right? We understand that. It's a specific designation here that identifies Jesus as the Messiah. He's the Savior. That's that word deliver. It's the same word we find being described of Moses, who's been serving uh, Israel as the vehicle as the person who's delivering Israel. We know it's not Moses doing the delivering, but he's the deliverer, so to speak, because he's the one that God is working through. But now we have the capital T-H-E deliverer, the Savior, who is Christ, the Messiah. He is the longed-for hope of Israel. This is the person they had anticipated year after year, to solve their problems, to change their status, to restore them to God. Here is the answer they're longing for. So this, this news and this message, this thing that they heard is incredibly important. And then they're given a sign. Now, signs were given to confirm. Signs were given to show that what was being said is actually true. So when Jesus comes into the world and he is now ministering, he would go around preaching. That was his primary role and responsibility. But guess what else he did? He performed signs. Why? Just so that people would say, look, you know, pow, look at what he can do. It's not about the sign. The sign verifies what's being said. 
So what's happening here is in this message from the angels, they're like, like, look, this is what's going to happen. In Bethlehem, a Savior, the Messiah, is going to be born. And just so that you know that what we're saying is true, here's a sign. Well, what's the sign? It's a very unusual sign, isn't it? A baby lying in a manger. Now, we have a couple of little babies here today. And I don't know that as soon as the baby is born that mom's saying, uh, let's, find a, let's find a feeding trough and let's stick the baby in there. Now, I think what's interesting about this passage here is that Mary and Joseph are not wearing masks. The baby isn't having, I mean, if it was us, we would be spraying it with Lysol, we would be disinfecting it, all that kind of stuff. This is not a normal situation. You don't normally go into a community to look for a baby who's being born that's lying in a manger. That's an unusual situation. But here's the sign. This is what you're going to find. So what they're hearing is an amazing, specific, and full of hope um, message given by these angels. And they're hearing it from the angel of the Lord, likely Gabriel, because he's the one that seems to be the, the one doing uh, a lot of the revelation here in the Gospels. We're not told. So not, not only do they hear here a, a, a message of announcement from an angel, but then we find in verse 13, they heard a multitude of angels praising God. Now, it's one thing to hear one angel speak, but can you imagine just a, a, a heavenly host of angels now having the message broadcast now come and sing and say to these angels and to God these words, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this is not just a a message of good news of a coming Messiah, but it's also the message of peace for mankind that will come through this child. And friends, the heavenly hosts are saying, this is God's work. He is the one who deserves praise. And God's work is bringing peace. So with that announcement and subsequent choir of voices praising God, the shepherds now respond. And so we're back in our text in verse 15. And how do they respond? They respond by saying, let's go. Let's see. Now, I take this to be a spontaneous response of faith based on their encounter with the angels as well as their belief in what has been revealed. Right? Let us go to Bethlehem. Let us go. There's something urgent about these words, right? It's not like, well, what do you guys think we should do? I don't know that they they sat around the fire and said, you know, those angels were kind of cool. I wonder if that's going to happen again tomorrow night. No, it was like, we got to go. We, we've got to go, and we got to find out at once. Without delay is what the, the, the idea here is. Now, obviously, someone had to stay behind and watch the sheet. They had a responsibility to them. But they figured out those details, and there's a sense now not only of, a, 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 of, of urgency, but there's a sense also of encouragement because it doesn't just say let us go, but it says let us go. In other words, they're, they're encouraging one another, not just one person going, but, but we're going to do this. We are going to go and see because the angels have announced this. In fact, the person who's going to lose out is the guy that has to stay behind. But there's a sense of encouragement to act on what they have heard. 
and then let us see. The idea here is for them to verify that the message that was given them by the angels is actually true. So with urgency and excitement, the shepherds act on what they have heard. The thing is the saying or the message of good news that the angel of the Lord announced to them on that night. So here they are, moving. Now here's the question, some questions for us. Have you heard the good news? That's always possible that even in a gathering of people that are part of Gateway Bible Church, that you actually have not embraced the good news of the gospel. You've conformed, you might want to say, Christian culture, but you haven't actually allowed the good news to actually penetrate your heart, and your thinking, your soul. Do you understand how good the good news is? <laughs> I mean, it's not just something that, oh, that's cool. No, this is something significant, something powerful that God has done for us. Uh, final question here. Does the good news drive you to action? I mean, really, the shepherds could have said, man, I want another experience like that. Woo, let's, let's start a ministry here, angel encounter ministry. Talk about what happened here. We'll do videos. We'll do seminars. It wasn't about that. It was about the content of what the angel said. That was more important than the actual encounter with the angel. You get that. So does the good news drive you to action? Or is it just something that you say, hey, this is, this is great. I'm a child of God. That's sufficient. Or is it fueling you to live in a certain way that God has laid out for you because you're a Christian? Now let's move from what the shepherds heard to what the shepherds saw. Now fueled by the angelic announcement of good news, the shepherds hurry to Bethlehem. And what do they eventually find? Well, let's read verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, just a couple of things about a couple of words here. They, they went with haste. In other words, they, they were hurrying. This is a word that means to, to hurry, to, to be eager, to be enthusiastic, to be excited. All right? So it wasn't just kind of like, why are we doing this? No, I mean, they were like, as fast as we can get there, we want to get there, right? Now, it was probably a few miles away, but they're hurrying to get there. Secondly, uh, it says they found, and we might miss this in the English, but the idea here of found means to find something out by searching. So it wasn't just like they showed at Bethlehem. It's like, oh, look, you know, I mean, they actually had to go do some things. They had to ask some questions. They had to, 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 to actually look around the place to find out where this baby was. And what did they find? Well, it's three things the text here gives us. First of all, they find the parents. They find Mary and Joseph. Now, Luke has already established for his readers, that would be Theophilus in particular, that Mary was a virgin betrothed to Joseph and chosen by God to conceive a son by the Holy Spirit. And that son would be called Jesus. He'd be called the Son of the Most High. And Luke has already given evidence through the angel's announcement to both Mary and to Elizabeth, as well as the, the leaping of Elizabeth's baby, we know that would be John the Baptist, in her womb when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. 
So, so Luke's already given evidence here that he's laid out before we get to this text. So Luke now is tying these divine angelic encounters together with the coming of the shepherds. And in so doing, he is solidifying the evidence for Christ's birth. I just got to see this. It's not just like, well, here's a nice little story. He's, He's linking things together for the reader. He wants that reader to see the evidence that is there. The angel of Gabriel certainly has been busy, and the threads of God's sovereignty and providence are coming together here in the stable in Bethlehem. So there's the parents. Secondly, there's the baby. Now, we're not told much in this text about the baby. This baby is there in the manger. But one thing that is significant, I think is important to note, and I think most of us know this, that sometimes because of Christmas pageants, We get the facts confused. We see angels and shepherds and wise men and sheep and donkeys all descending on the same stable, but that's not the story. This is an infant. That's the word that is used to describe this child. It's an infant. So actually, it was just the shepherds who were there in the manger with Mary and Joseph. Now, there may have been a donkey, there may have been sheep. I don't know about that. But there's certainly... They certainly were the only ones there. Of course, there may have been their dog, Haste, right? Because they came with Haste. Might have been the other option, right? But it's important to note then that when the wise men come, the word that is used to describe the, that, the, the, the baby there is actually the word child, which has more of an idea of a toddler. So it's probably about two years later that the, the magi come. So it's just worth noting that as we think through how this story unfolds, what's actually happening here. They see the parents, they see the baby, but the most significant thing that they see here is the fact that this sign that the baby is in the manger is actually taking place. The sign is given, is given as proof to the shepherds. Now, we must see this sign not just as giving proof to the shepherds, but again, as part of the mounting evidence that Luke is giving for the reader of this gospel. So for Theophilus first and then for us. But let's go back to Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, just turn back to Luke chapter 1. This is why we always want to read a section of Scripture in its context, because we then begin to connect dots about that, that particular passage with the greater context. And this is answering the question, why is Luke writing this, right? He says in verse 1 of chapter 1, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word of God have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. So friends, it's vital that we don't just let this Christmas story slide by like it's a nice, sweet, uplifting, hallmark movie. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is good news. It's factual evidence gathered from eyewitnesses and ministers of the word so that we can be certain about the gospel we have embraced. Certainty is the goal. Evidence is given to give Theophilus and us, the readers, certainty about this gospel. 
So when the shepherds see the baby lying in the manger, all sorts of bells and whistles are going off in their head. And when we read the record of the shepherd, a shepherd seeing the baby lying in the manger, the neon lights are flashing in our head. They didn't have neon lights back then, all right? Just kind of transitioning here. But here's what's going on in our head. Look here. See this. Here's the evidence. Don't miss this thing. This is the Son of God. Here's the sign. Angel said it would be true. It is true. Here's the sign. Here's the proof. So what we must see, friends, is that this is God's doing. This is the Creator's plan. This is divine incarnation happening. God the Son coming in flesh to redeem a people from their sins and to give them new life through his death on the cross. And friends, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying when he encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy. I would invite you to turn there. He encourages Timothy. This is, Paul, I might say, Paul's last will and testament. And one of the things he does at the front end of this, this little letter to Paul or to Timothy is that he, he's encouraging him to not be ashamed of the gospel. And he then leans on something to help him not be ashamed. Listen to these words. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 8 and following. Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now he has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus, or Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I'm, whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. So this is just a powerful statement Timothy, don't be ashamed. And what's anchoring this, this, this argument is what he says in verse 10, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. That appearing is not the second coming. He's not talking about a future event. He's talking about a past event. And that past event is the incarnation. And his argument basically is this. The appearing of our Savior is the, might want to say, is, 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 the, is the reason for him to say that death and, and, uh, has been abolished and life and immortality has come. Just the fact that Jesus came into the world, his incarnation, is sufficient evidence that death would be abolished and life and immortality would come. So the good news about the baby it's also good news about the cross. It's also good news about the resurrection. It's also good news about the church, and it's good news about the, the coming Holy Spirit and the Lord's return and our immortality that will see us home in heaven one day. This thread of gospel is going through the gospels, and it includes what he's actually doing in us now. This is all good news. It's all the unfolding of this good news, and that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying, so don't be ashamed. So we take the same kind of encouragement from Paul, and we say, 
don't be ashamed. <laughs> don't be ashamed of this gospel. Don't be ashamed of the incarnation. Don't be ashamed of the truth of what Christmas is really about. Don't be ashamed of the cross. Don't be ashamed of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit or the, the word of God that's been breathed out that you, you stand on. Don't be ashamed of it. You've got no reason to be ashamed. And all of this in a context of great opposition. So friends, this baby in the manger is a sign. It is evidence of the peace that God is bringing to those with whom he is pleased to those who, who listen to the good news and humble themselves and repent and receive the forgiveness of sins through Christ. So friends, you and I have heard the good news, but are we certain that the good news is actually true? And are we convinced that it is true to the point that it affects how we live our lives in this world? That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying this, look, this gospel is why I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a, te a teacher. This is why I suffer as I do. He's saying it's disappearing. This is what fuels it. So friends, if you have heard the good news and you are convinced that it's true, is it driving you to live your life to please God? That's a very important question. And we've seen what the shepherds heard. We've seen what the shepherds saw, but now we want to consider what the shepherds said. This is verses 17 through 18. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them about uh, told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds uh, told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. First of all, they made known the message. This phrase, made known, is, is, is found here, but it's also found in verse 15. In verse 15, the Lord is making known the good news through the angel. In verse 17, the shepherds are making known to the people what they had heard, this saying, this thing from the Lord. So God makes his good news known, and the shepherds spread that good news to others. You see what's going on here? God, shepherds, shepherds to others, right? Now we find the Apostle Paul using the same terminology in finishing up his uh, his, his gospel epistle to the Romans, here's what he says. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the, the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the, the prophetic writings, he has made known to all nations according to the commandment of eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. And what he's saying there is God has a revelation that needed to be made known, and God has made it known. The apostle Peter also, in, in 2 Peter 1.16, says this, for, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of this majesty. But we made it known. And this is what we were committed to. We were committed to making this message known. So God makes 
his gospel known to us through the scriptures, doesn't he? And it is the, the gospel that God's children are to make known as they live their lives for his glory. And when that gospel is made known, things start to happen. So friends, what's important for us to see here is that the simple, uneducated, and marginalized shepherds are the first witnesses for Christ after his birth. They're the first evangelists. They're the first preachers. And if I say they're the first pastors, I'm being redundant, right? Because pastor means what? Shepherd. (laughs) But this is what they're doing. They could not restrain themselves. This was the greatest news in the world ever told. They'd heard the good news. They had seen the Savior in the manger with their own eyes. And so they made it known. Now, not only do we find that they made it known, but we find that the message, secondly, influenced the people. What happens when we make known the good news? Well, people are influenced by what we have to say. Not by our words, right? But by the gospel we proclaim. Friends, the power is not in our skill, in our popularity, in our expertise, although we should not use those as an excuse for incompetence or being unpopular or sloppy in our evangelism, but the power is in the gospel proclaimed. And what do we find happens when the good news of the birth of Christ is made known? Well, people are influenced, and Mary is influenced. So let's first of all just consider, first of all, the people wondered, right? Not like wondered like, hmm, but they were just, wow, amazed. It's a word that that is often used in particular in the gospel, specifically by Luke. In fact, Luke uses the word 13 times in his gospel, five times in the book of Acts. And it's not saying that these people became believers, that they listened to the words and they embraced um, the implications of the good news, but it's a word that describes, I'm going to say, the beginning of the process. It includes the idea of surprise and amazement and thoughtful consideration. These are all, I want to say, awakenings to the truth and reality of Christ that cause people to consider the gospel. So throughout the Christmas season, as people encounter the Christmas story, they may be moved with wonder or amazement at what they are hearing, but unfortunately, many of those same people will quickly forget and go about their lives without Christ. It's kind of in our content saying, man, that was really cool. But is it cool enough that it changes your life? Is it cool enough that you start asking yourself, the question about why do I even need this good news? And friends, when we make known the good news to those around us, we give them opportunity to wonder, to consider the amazing reality of this thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the people wondered. Secondly, Mary treasured and pondered. Now, what was there for Mary to treasure and ponder? Well, the idea of treasure means to guard something, to protect something as something special. And you have to think about the fact that she had been hearing some incredible things, and so she's just gathering them together. That's the idea of ponder. It means to to bring together, to compare, and to weigh the facts. So there's this visit by the angel named Gabriel announcing that she would give birth to a child, and that child would be the savior of the world. 
There's the, the visit that Elizabeth had from an angel that confirmed, um, again, this reality of what was going to take place. Then, of course, now she's, she's taking in what the shepherds are saying. So she's gathering all this stuff, and she's just trying to comprehend what is happening here. And friends, it's a reminder that God encourages Mary in the role that she has to be the mother of this child. She's taking things seriously. She's processing all of these events and continuing to live out her life by faith in God and his providence. Now, if you remember in the Song of Mary, which is, again, just a few pages um, back here, Luke chapter 1, and in particular, verses 46 through 49, you might want to look at this. She says the following. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I wonder if the song was written at that point in time, whether she would be singing this. Whate'er my God ordains is right. He never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know he will not leave me. I take content what he has sent. His hand can turn my griefs away. And patiently I wait his day. And patiently I wait his day. She's, this is what's going on in this song of Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. But she had been told that the baby that she would have would be God, your Savior. I mean, this is incredible, mysterious stuff. And she's pondering it all. You know, add to that the fact that she's a teenager, probably 13 to 14 years old, and she's trying to sort the things out that have been going on with her body and the pregnancy and the birth. And friends, we have to ask ourselves the question, what happens when we are silent about the good news? What are the implications of not speaking up when we have the answer to the burden of life's sin and struggle? Are we guilty of hiding the gospel under a bushel when it should be shining for all to see? And friends, I wonder whether or not just this past year has caused us to bring the bushel out. And to start covering the reality of who we are up a little bit, out of self-preservation, out of protection. Now the text is explicit, but not not implicit. Sorry, sorry, isn't explicit? It's implicit that the shepherds came into Bethlehem and interacted with a number of the people. They shared the gospel news with others until they found the baby in the manger. There's nothing in this text that screams at us that they entered Bethlehem by stealth, somehow keeping everything secret, this good news that they heard. No, the opposite is true. They said, let us go, let us see this thing. And after they found the baby, we're told here, all who heard it wondered. I take all to be more than those who were in the stable. I think there's that distinction that's being made here. I think there's people in Bethlehem. So it, it makes sense that they, they went through the town asking questions, seeking this baby and sharing the story of good news. They, they come into town asking, have you seen a newborn baby, a baby in a manger? 
no, we haven't seen a baby in a manger. That seems kind of strange, really. Why are you asking? Well, we were out in the hills, and an angel appeared to us and gave us this good news, and then there was this heavenly host of angels, and the people are probably like, yeah, shh, you know, click. But they keep on searching, and then they find this baby in a manger. And as the people, you know, maybe as they're interacting, you know, the people might have said, okay, well, if you find the baby, let us know. And I'm sure the news came out that there actually was a baby in a manger. And again, this is what's causing people to wonder. So the shepherds heard the good news. They saw the evidence. They made known the message from the angel. Now we want to consider what the shepherds did. This is verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And we see two things that the shepherds did, and both are extremely important. If you remember at the beginning of this story, when the angel of the Lord appears to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, they were filled with great fear. But something has changed. They had encountered God, they have been given a sign, and their response give evidence that they now bow the knee in worship to the child, Jesus the Christ, the Savior. The first response then is this. We're told they returned to the sheep. Now, it's good, friends, to pause during the Christmas season and remember the birth of Jesus the Messiah. But Jesus, like the shepherd, or I say just like the shepherd, uh, and they needed to return to their sheep. Now, it's not unspiritual of the shepherds to leave the manger, having seen the baby, and to return to their duties on the hill. Why? Because that was their God-given responsibility. This is what God had created them for. God didn't create a religion here that isolates his children from their normal, everyday responsibilities. No, he wants us to take the truth of the message of his coming with us back to our ordinary, mundane lives. And don't, don't consider that to be kind of me putting you down. We're all living ordinary, mundane lives. As exciting as they, they are, they're still ordinary, they're still mundane, and we need to celebrate that. It's not an unimportant thing to return to your normal everyday life. That's what God has called us to. But if the gospel has gotten a hold of our hearts, the way we return is going to be different. And the way we begin to live out those ordinary lives now is shaped and fashioned by the truth of that good news. Those whose lives have been changed by the gospel will begin to live by the gospel. In other words, when the shepherds returned to their sheep, they were not the same. They'd also been affected by what they had heard, what they saw, and what they had said. And, they, and what they heard was fearfully amazing. What they saw was re remarkable proof, and what they said had powerful effects. So now they return, glorifying and praising God. And that would be the second thing that we see here, not just their return, but the the, by the, the praise and the worship that accompanies their return. And get this, what the shepherds saw in Bethlehem was in agreement with what they heard from the angels. God's message had come to pass. 
and what the angels did on the hills on that dark night when the angel of the Lord spoke to the shepherds is now what the shepherds are doing as they return. What is that? Glorifying God, praising God. So this, this praise, this worship that the angels were doing is now what the shepherds themselves are doing. And it should just remind us that God has revealed his truth to us so that we can actually, we can glorify him with it. And friends, this response reminds me of what happens when we gather together on a Sunday morning for corporate worship like this. We enjoy fellowship. It's great to see you here. It's wonderful to be, I would say, in God's house, but I would say outside God's house. (laughs) That's not God's house. This is God's house, right? It's just great to be with us. The fellowship we get together and enjoy. The singing of praises to our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And we are encouraged and built up in the faith through the ministry of the word. But the reality sets in, friends, that we have to return to the lives that God has called us to. But as we go back, we go glorifying and praising God for opening our eyes and seeing Jesus in in his word and in his truth. And friends, worship is always the right response when you see the Savior in all his glory and splendor. When you see God, you're changed, and you take that back to your home, to your interaction with your neighbors, to that lady at the checkout counter who's trying to struggle with what is going on in her world, to that person who you probably bumped in today, maybe not physically bumped in today, but just driving too slowly when you wanted to get somewhere, and maybe even your fellow workers as you return back to work. We take the good news verified, celebrated with us. Now, friends, I want to close right now just with four concluding thoughts from this text. I have four questions that might help us ponder some things just about what it means to live our lives for his glory. First of all, how is your witness? Now, I want to speak to contemporary concerns here. Has your Christian witness tended to morph into a political witness? That's an important question. Maybe to say it a little differently. Has your good news turned into politically laced Christianity? Or to put it another way, if you were to have a conversation with someone about the good news of the gospel, could you share it without getting political or without the person listening hearing it as a political talking point? Can you separate the two? And friends, you may not like what I'm about to say, but hear this in the providence of God. Maybe one of the greatest things to happen to the church is for Donald Trump to not be our next president. Because maybe we've settled on relying on a sinful and imperfect political figure rather than on the perfect son of God, who is the head of the church. Now, it's not a knock against our president, but it's a knock against the church that sees him as the savior when it's Christ who is our Savior. 
How is your witness? Secondly, do you believe that you have good news to share? Do you believe that? You might say, well, I have good news, but sometimes society makes it feel like it's old news and irrelevant news, something they just don't want to listen to. Now, friends, the gospel has always had unbelievers who stand in opposition to God's grace. But that doesn't diminish grace at all. And there have been many seasons in history where the truth of the gospel has seemingly been eclipsed by the movements of society, but the gospel thread has always been present. And God continues to draw people to himself in spite of man's unbelief, mockery, and opposition. And again, we here in the United States might be going through a wonderful transformation where the church is is reduced to the things that are important, right, rather than the frills that are often offered in many contexts. Oh, that God would refine his church to be his actual true church. So don't be intimidated. Don't retreat into your homes, into yourselves. God has given you the good news. Believe it. Share it. Live it. Trust it. So how's your witness? Do you actually believe that you have the good news to share? Third thing, how is your joy? Friends, have you lost your gospel joy? Have you lost your gospel wonder? Have you lost your gospel voice and your passion and your excitement? Friends, there is something exciting about someone who's a new believer. They want to tell others what Christ has done for them. They want to express their joy. They're not intimidated by people they don't know because they have been changed and they want to share it. And unfortunately, it's easy to lose the excitement and the joy that comes with our salvation. It can happen over time as we continue to face life's problems can happen because we get distracted with other things. It can happen because sin has gotten in the way. We find um, that, that incredible character, imperfect, flawed character, David, when he had sinned with Bathsheba as well as committed murder, and he comes to God in repentance in Psalm 51. And one of the things that he prays for there in Psalm 51, verse 12, is restore to me the joy of your salvation. Friends, is that a prayer that we need to be praying? Have we lost our joy? We're just holding on, we're hiding in, and we're retreating when God says, no, live with joy. Why? Because you are changed people. Why? Because of what I have done. How's your joy? Finally, are you an encouragement to others? 
Uh, there's a number of things that happen in this text, I think, are, are, are means of encouragement. They come, first of all, with the group of the, the shepherds working together. It comes as a result of, of the word that's being shared that encourages Mary in particular. Are you seeking to be an encouragement to others? Are you encouraging others toward maturity in Christ? Are you encouraging others to share their faith? Are you coming alongside someone you know may be struggling to just let them know that you're there to talk with, to pray with, to cry? cry with, to open God's word with. That's why the writer of Hebrews, in some of his concluding thoughts, he's getting to the end of his book, Hebrews 10, he says in verse 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, we need each other. I know we have Christ. I know we have the gospel. I know we can have a personal relationship with him. But he's created the church because he understands that we need people to encourage us to press on. Are you an encourager? And sometimes you may be the one who's going through circumstances and you need the encouragement. But friends, are you the encourager? Is it your mind's kind of thought, your heart's desire to say, how can I encourage those that are part of the body of Christ? Maybe, maybe it's people outside of the body of Christ. Maybe it's neighbors. How can I encourage them? Are you an encourager? And do you encourage in such a way that you are allowing your encouragement, not to be kind of like the world's philosophy and thinking, but God's truth lived out, God's truth understood. As I, as I stood here with you guys all praying, and I'm listening to my brother Ed pray for Scott. I'm listening to someone who has experienced suffering. And when Ed is praying, he's praying from knowledge. He's praying from experience, not just with the suffering, but also because of his relationship with God in the midst of that suffering. And that is an encouragement. Now, it's not saying that you have to go through suffering in order to be an encouragement. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying we need each other and we need the support of one another and we need that, that, that gospel support. This is one of the reasons why he's created the church. And so today, as we consider the Christmas story, as we consider the Christmas story through the lens of the shepherds here, how's your witness? Do you believe you have the good news to share? Is it still good news? And will it still do what God promises it will do? How's your joy? And are you an encouragement to others? Friends, there's just so much for us to glean here from a story that we often just kind of breeze through. <laughs> Let us allow it to take root, to settle in. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this Christmas season. Oh, Lord, it's, it's wonderful to interact with family. It's wonderful to spend time together opening presents. And Lord, even this year, that's going to be kind of strange and modified because of the restrictions that have been put in place. It's been a lot of the normal things that we consider to be a part of our cultural Christmas season. But Lord, the one thing that hasn't changed is the reason for this season. No matter our circumstances, 
no matter our struggles. It is, it is you that we worship. It is you that is the reason for this. So, Lord, may we be the kind of people who will learn from humble shepherds because, Lord, they're so much like us. Lord, we've heard the gospel. We've seen it verified, not just in the gospel story, but throughout your scripture. Give us now a, a, a joyful voice to speak that gospel. And Lord, to see it have an impact. And Lord, may it have an impact in our hearts that we are worshiping you with greater passion and vigor, lifting the level of the good news and the great joy that comes with that good news to be what it should be because of what you've done for us. We ask this now in your precious name. Amen.